I'm going to uh, I'm going to bring us back together. Uh, if you're grabbing uh, if you're grabbing coffee or tea, feel free to uh, to to fill up, tap off your cup, and then uh, find your seat. If you are here and you need a Bible, uh, make sure that you stop by our um, our connection table. We've got Bibles on there for you. Um, those are those are kind of our gifts to you. And so, um, if you happen to need one, you can find one over there. Rain's back there. You can throw your hand in the air um, if you need one, and we'll bring one to you. As a matter of fact, so. Um, but we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be in Genesis twenty five. Um, as perhaps you have gathered, given Duncan's reading for us this morning. Um, and so if you would, um, turn on or open up to Genesis chapter 25. My desire today um, is to serve you God's word. Um, and so um, we're going to read a lot of Bible. And my encouragement to you um, this week, as um, is hopefully each week, um, is that you would open up your Bibles, that you would be in Genesis chapter 25, and then you would stay there. We'll also have the verses on the screen for you if you, um, if you need them. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking through humanity's response and God's purpose through the type of difficulty observed in verses 19 through 24. Okay, so let me say that again just so we can, we can kind of cast a, a wide net so that you guys can know what we can be expecting throughout our time together. Um, God's purpose through the type of difficulty observed in Genesis 25, 19 through 24, which is super specific. And so we will do some work to um, step back and consider how this speaks towards um, the human existence as a whole. Um, But as we approach our passage this morning, it might be super helpful to very quickly make a um, distinction about difficulty. All right, let's think a little bit about difficulty and how we, um, how we experience it and the ways that it is brought about in our lives. There is the type of difficulty that results from living in a broken world, right? Just that we, we live in a broken world. We live in a sin-cursed world. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3, and it talks all about this, how things um, are now as they are, uh, is explained there in Genesis chapter 3 for us, short answer, sin. Um, and there is the type of difficulty that results from our own sinful decisions. This morning, we're going to look specifically at the type of difficulty that arises as a result, not of necessarily sinful decisions, although that is certainly going to be on display as we round out our time together in Genesis chapter 25 this morning, but instead, difficulty that we experience as a result of living in a broken world. What can you expect as we, uh, as we unpack Genesis 25, this part two, over the next 35 or 40 minutes together? Well, that is it. This conversation around difficulty and what it looks like for God's people to live in a broken world among other broken people as ourselves broken people. Uh, because this is what we see Isaac processing through in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 25. Let's step back and let's talk about where we've been over recent weeks. Okay, uh, Last week, we spent much of our time exploring the testimony of God's faithfulness through the life of Abraham and his death. That was Genesis 25 part 1. You can catch that online or on our podcast if you um, would like, which I would, of course, encourage you to Uh, encourage you to do. The faithfulness of God through the life of Abraham and his death. We observed last week the birth of nations, right? The birth of of nations that would, through Jesus, experience benefits of of faith, right? And his 
perfect obedience and finished work on the cross. We briefly explored relational reconciliation and a beautiful display of generosity, all serving to point us toward the gospel's work being accomplished in the human heart. Again, all serving to construct for us from Genesis chapter 25 a confidence in God's word. If I were to to summarize the majority of our time spent together last week and my desire for you as we departed, it would be this, right? That we would have this this profound confidence in God's word, right? That That we would rest in the assuredness and the reliability of God's word. I had a, a number of great conversations over the course of this past week about just how, how, how fundamentally important this is for the life of the Christian, right? As we experience the, the consequences and the results of, of sin in the world, being able to set our hope on the reliability of God's infallible and inerrant word, right? Without erroring and incapable of being wrong. You see, um, we as um, Christians have this um, unique benefit, right? In that we are able to look to God's word and understand why things as are, are as they are and what we are to look forward to, right? In light of the hope of the resurrection. It's, an, it's incredibly encouraging for God's people in the midst of, of real, like, heart-wrenching difficulty. Like, that God's word is, is, is true, that it explains all of the brokenness that we see, right, and all the brokenness that we, that we feel while serving to, to redirect our, our focus, Right, and to redirect our perspective toward what? On what? Well, the gospel and Christ. This is where we were last week. This week, we're in part two of Genesis chapter 25. So let's get to part two of Genesis chapter chapter 25. As we see God working to produce life from death. God working to produce life from death. Death in spite of human deception and wickedness. This is a big idea that we're going to work on unpacking this morning. Let me give it to you um, explicitly so you can make note of it. This is what we're going to be talking about. God is at work. God working, producing life from death in spite of human deception and wickedness. We see this morning God's work in broken people. We see God's work in broken families, both serving to highlight his kindness and character in an otherwise hopeless circumstance. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. In verses 19 through 21, we see a struggle that informs the way that we understand God's purpose in suffering and difficulty. Don't, don't, let's not cruise past that, okay? Like, that's, that's really, really important. Here in these, these opening verses of part two of Genesis chapter 25, we see a struggle that informs the way that we understand God's purpose. Wait, okay, so we're saying something here, that there is purpose in suffering and difficulty. Do you remember what I said just a few moments ago about the benefit that we as Christians have and the benefit that is extended to sinners that stand in need of grace, that we might understand purpose in suffering and difficulty? That's where we're going That's where we're going this morning. We've turned the page to a certain degree in this book. I'm going to talk historically for just a moment. Last week, we read of the death of 
Abraham, this primary character through much of the book of Genesis up until this point. The baton has been passed to his son Isaac, the new patriarch to the promise of God. What do we know about Isaac? Let's consider a few things from Genesis up until this point. All right, Isaac is the son of faith. Born as a result of a miraculous work of God through a very old father and a very barren mother. In Isaac, we see a a son who displays an unwavering confidence in God's plan and in his father's leadership. Let us never forget That this is the same Isaac who, at roughly 16 years old, allowed himself to be led and bound upon the mountain that God showed to his father before worming his way upon the altar to be sacrificed in obedience to the call of God, only to be spared as God provided a ram caught in the thickets to take his place. In Genesis chapter 24, we're introduced to Rebekah the daughter of Abraham's brother, and a gift from the Lord. Recognized by Eleazar and confirmed by God through her service and willingness to marry Isaac, a man that she had never met before. As she and Eleazar set off to return to Canaan, she is blessed by her family in verse 60. Let me take us back to Genesis chapter 24 for just a moment. We're building a case for something really important here, and so, so hang with me. This is, the, this is the blessing that is offered to Rebekah as she leaves her family to return with Eleazar to marry Abraham's son Isaac, the same Isaac that we read about here in part 2 of Genesis 25. This is the blessing. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. As we look back on Genesis chapter 24, we can see very clearly that Rebekah is being prepared by the Lord to fill the role vacated by Sarah as the matriarch to this most important family. These are the resumes. And if ever there was a a couple that holds a more stacked hand, I don't know them. (laughs) They have every possible circumstance working in their favor. And yet, as we will see here, there is a familiar sadness that finds a home in their story. Yet, in spite of the commitment of this people, this couple, to the Lord, And the Lord's commitment to them, there is hardship, there is struggle. We are totally surrounded by genealogy. A recording of the offspring produced by Abraham and Ishmael in Genesis chapter 25. We see children giving birth to children. We see families growing and nations expanding. As a result, it makes total sense that as we come into the second part of this chapter and read these familiar words in verse 19, look there with me. These are the generations of Isaac. That what would follow would be a list of offspring. Why? Well, because we just came out of this, this lengthy portion of genealogy. 
We see, in fact, in verses 12 through 18 of Genesis chapter 25, the generations of Ishmael. We see his sons and his sons' sons. Now we're we're preparing to, to see the generations of the son of faith. Yet as we come into to verse 19, what we find is that this isn't the case. Instead, what we find is death. We find death displayed through the inability to bring about life. In verse 21, we see a husband who, who loves his wife. It's the second time that that's been emphasized in recent chapters. Walking through sorrow with her. Look with me at verse 21. We're expecting generations, we're expecting genealogy, and yet as we come into verse 21, we see Isaac praying to the Lord for his wife. Why? Because she was barren. It's a surprise. Right? It's, not, it's not necessarily anything new given our exposure to this this same issue in the life of Abraham and Sarah, but it is a bit shocking, isn't it? As we come out of the genealogy of Ishmael, that that there would be this barrenness that found a a hold in the life of Isaac and his wife Rebekah as well. Wait a second, we go back to chapter 24 and we consider in verse 60 the blessing of Rebekah's family upon her as she prepares to depart Barrenness? Really? Why? Right? For for what purpose? To, To what end? Why this difficulty in terms of conceiving, having children? We we remember again Isaac's place in this story, which only serves to make this perhaps all the more surprising. What are we to know? In light of this difficulty, in light of this struggle and heartache and sorrow, here in verses 19 through 21, we learn something about God, right? We learn something really important about about who God is. Here in Genesis chapter 25, we see God teaching his people. He's he's teaching his people something very specific. Now, we're going to get to the purpose. We're going to get to the point of all of this in just a minute. Because perhaps that's a question you're asking. What's the point? Like, why? Like, why is all of this this happening? We're going to unpack that further. But allow me to say just a few things about what God is teaching his people through this particular circumstance. He's, He's teaching his people something about human limitation and expectation. Right? We see here God teaching his people that... The promised redemptive seed set to come through this family would not be brought about by human effort, devoid of of his divine work, a divine work that would lead to more divine work. God here is showing his people their need to what? Here it is. God here is showing his people their need to rely on him. As he, as he carries along right, this, this covenant promise 
extending all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Introduced there, explained further in Genesis chapter 12, but existent before the foundations of the world. This is the way that God works. Right? Like from a New Testament perspective, we, we get this, but there is this tendency that exists to uh, somehow, for some reason, divorce the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as if they are somehow different. What we find here is that that is, that is not the case at all. We, we see here this, this emphasis on God breathing life into death. Right, we look to Christ and we, we understand this more fully. We look to the miracles of Christ and we understand this more fully. But this isn't an idea that rests entirely alone, ostracized in the New Testament. But it's something that we observe here. It's nothing new. We've already observed it and now we're being reintroduced to it, if you will. God breathes life into death, producing this new perspective. But not only a new perspective, right? It's not only the way that we look at things, but it produces a new confession. It produces not only a new mindset and a new way that we look at the world and the way that God works, but it changes the way um, and the things that we speak. Our death and sin and and the life that God produces in us through his divine work, followed by this growth in our understanding of the gospel and its redeeming power in every other area of our lives. If you're, if you're a skeptic to the Christian faith, then this sounds really, really strange. Yet this is what we believe. Right? This, is, this is what we believe, that we worship a God who hears his people, who meets our needs in unhealthy or, or dead marriages. We find this hope that we cling to in the midst of these trying circumstances that the gospel can bring life. Right? In bitterness and resentment, we see the gospel's power to produce peace. Daily interaction with other difficult and broken people. Amen. Right? The gospel produces patience and a desire for God-glorifying transformation and response in us and in others. Wait a second. Let's camp out on that one for just a moment, if you will. Right? From a, from a Christian perspective, the gospel changes the way that we interact with people. Right? It changes the things that we desire for them and the things that we expect God to be working in us through these various encounters. Suffering and, and difficulty in all of these areas are a part of life on this side of the fall. And there are, as we can observe here, none that are immune. As I step back and I think about all the things that we learned through the second portion of Genesis 25, we've laid out the resumes of Isaac and Rebekah. There is this this degree of expectation as we come into part two of this chapter. In light of what preceded the familiar words that lead us in, to an anticipation of offspring in verses 19 through 21, and then struggle, right? And then, and then, and then heartache, and then difficulty. Do we see how this is happening? And no one is amused. These few verses of 
Genesis 25 assist in constructing this framework for us. All of creation, while under the subjection of the lordship of Jesus, feels the effects of sin. Can you relate with this this morning? Of course. <laughs> right? Like, of course. If you're, here, if you're here this morning and you are answering no to that question, man, what color is the sky in that world? Right? Like, of course, like, we're familiar with this. None are immune to sin's impact. And God is, is faithfully teaching his people here of their need to, to look to, to trust in him, to bring about his divine purposes in this place. If we think about that for a moment, it changes the way that we go about living our lives, certainly, doesn't it? All right, as, we, as we experience hardship, as we experience difficulty, anybody got that going on? Yes? What do we do? What is, what is the right response? We, we look to Christ. Right? We, we look to the hope of the gospel. We look to the power of the gospel. We trust in the word of God to bring about his plan and purposes in creation, in a world that while at times seems to be totally overcome and overwhelmed by sin, God continues to work. And he continues to, to bring about his will and desired effects in a place that seems to be becoming increasingly more corrupt day by day by day by day. Perhaps you're feeling it. Right? Perhaps you are, you're feeling it yourself. We see in verses 19 through 21 a right response to difficulty, a right response to hardship. In this particular instance between Isaac and Rebekah and this struggle of barrenness, what is that? Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord. Eddie, he went to he went to the Lord. We see an all too familiar heartache, an all too familiar struggle in verses nineteen through twenty one. But as we come into the second part of verse twenty one, we find God's grace and blessing. Look there with me, verse twenty one b. That means second part, <laughs> right? And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, what? Conceived. Brokenness, right? Struggle, heartache. We see this, this beautiful illustration of, of Isaac's trust in the Lord. A right response that was not a, a, a mirror of his father's. In fact, if we look back and we consider the similarities between the two stories, there is a point in which the similarities end. Okay? Because while barrenness in the life of, of Abraham and, and Sarah, barrenness in the lives of, of Isaac and Rebekah, they seem, seem to, to, to mirror one another, right? There is this point in which it, there's a division. How do Abraham and Sarah respond to this, this heartache and to this struggle? Well, we've talked about it a number of times when we've worked through the past few chapters of Genesis. There is this desire to circumvent the plan of God, to bring about their own plans and their own desires and to make this happen, right? Here we observe a different response from Isaac, a response that is worthy of our emulation, right? to go to the Lord, to trust in the Lord. 
So we continue on. We see, we see the Lord's response. He, he blesses Isaac and Rebecca. As Christians, we look to Jesus and the power of the gospel to inform our response to difficulty, confident that God is able to work for good. Did you catch that? We look to Jesus, we look to the power of the gospel to inform our response to difficulty, confident that God is able to work for our good. Now, in this particular instance, you have a couple that's struggling with barrenness. Their desire is for children, and their expectation is so. When they don't realize that, they go to the Lord, and we find the Lord blessing them and giving them, giving them children. Now, it's going to be a really messy family. But the Lord blesses, he gives them them children. Now there are instances in our lives in which we go to the Lord with petitions and requests and prayers and we, we offer these things up and yet it seems as though we are left wanting. Here, Isaac's prayer is answered. But there are instances in which like those prayers are not answered in the way that we expect that they would be, Right? And so what is, what is the response? Well, it's this. We emphasized it here just a, a moment ago, that God is able to work for good, even when we don't perceive it that way. Even when we don't understand it to be happening like that. The Christian cry, we've already sang it this morning, Lord, I need you. Hey, oh, I, I need you. Right? Every, every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. This is where we live our lives. This is where we, we live our lives. We, we live in light of this understanding, this realization of, of our need for God. Right? Our, our need for, for Him to work in our lives. Right? To bring about His desires for our ultimate good and to transform our perceptions when we don't understand it to be that way. Are you guys with me here? Right? Is that difficult? Yes. Is that impossible? No. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, we gather with God's people and we are again and again and again reminded of his, of his faithfulness to, to work. Right? To, to accomplish exactly what he has set out to. We need that reminder. Right, we, we, need, we need that reminder. We see a, a familiar heartache and a familiar struggle. We see God's grace and blessing in the second half of verse 21. I want us to transition now to verses 22 through 28 as we observe the continuation of struggle. Because one thing that we want to be uh, super cautious of is, is seeing the Lord's response to the, to the prayer of Isaac here and going, well, there you go. Like, man, that's cleaned up real nice. And expecting that in our own relationships and our own interactions with other people for our own lives. Because many times that is, is not the case. We see that there is a continued struggle in verses 22 through 28. Look with me at verse 22. Rebecca's pregnant. It says in verse 22. That the children struggled within her. And she said... Is thus is is if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she's got this question. 
And in light of her question, she does what in the second part of verse 22? Well, she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Now, I want us to to go back to, to that first part of the second half of verse 22. So she went to inquire of the Lord. There's an internal struggle that's going on within Rebecca, which leads her to seek the wisdom of the Lord. Yet another mark of the redeemed. Another mark of the redeemed. Looking to God for the answers to the things that we cannot understand or comprehend. Are we familiar with this? Right, this, this inability to comprehend why, to understand why are things happening the way that they are? Why are we feeling what we are feeling? Why, in this particular case, is there this division that is rising up within the womb of Rebecca? This is confusing. As a result, she looks to God for the answers to the things that she is unable to comprehend. And just as Isaac took his grief to God in verse 21, Rebecca takes her questions to God here. So as we have questions, right, and and struggle, how do we respond? How can we respond? We go to God, right? We we go to the Lord. I heard a wonderful thing um, about the Psalms. I studied through the Psalms a number of years ago. And um, and one of the things that we learned through the Psalms that I remember being taught as we we journeyed through was, was this, that the Psalms give us um, give us reason to believe that we can go to God with our struggles, right, with our questions. Not only do they give us reason, but they, they show us how we do that. Right? They show us how we, we go about taking our, our petitions to the Lord, how we go to Him with the things that are so difficult for us to, to comprehend, to fathom, and to process through. This is the way that Rebecca responds. So what does that look like for, for you and I? Again, we're talking gospel implication for everyday life. As we encounter things that are difficult for us to, to understand their place in the story and their place in our lives, what is the right response? What is to, to, to go to the Lord, right? It's to, it's to go to God and to, and to confess, again, our reliance in a posture of humility. Lord, our minds are finite and yours is infinite. We don't understand what you are doing or why things are uh, progressing forward or, or moving along as they are. But we look to you and we trust you right? that you will bring about, about good and that you will even at times most graciously answer the questions that we have. That's what we observe from the Lord in verse 23. He explains to her what is happening. The two nations in her womb, people who will be divided, one being stronger than the other, the older serving the younger. This would have been most unusual that the older brother would would serve the younger as typically the roles would have been reversed. We continue on in verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Verse 25, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. There you go. So they called his name Esau. Can you just imagine imagine that for a moment? It's okay to laugh, but it's kind of funny. 
What a surprise. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they, uh, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So there's a bit of a time stamp here. Again, oftentimes it's easy for us to, to gloss over difficulty and hardship because we're reading it over the course of a few verses. And we go, man, this was a, this was a struggle, right? This was a struggle for them for, I don't know, like, like a quarter of an inch. And then things seem to resolve quite quickly. That's not the case for Rebecca and Isaac. I would imagine that there was a certain expectation that, that conception would happen rather quickly. Right, given their, their consummation earlier on as they as they meet one another and go into the tent of Sarah, right? Like both parties are super familiar as to how this works. <clears throat> Undoubtedly a, a degree of expectation. Isaac was forty years old when he and Rebecca got married. How old is he here when Jacob and Esau are born? Sixty. Right? So that quarter of an inch of struggle quickly becomes like this, this long, extended season of difficulty. What is our expectation for struggle many times? Okay, I'm, I can get on board with that I'm going to feel it, right? Like I can get on board that it's going to be there, that it is a part of life in a fallen world. But quick resolution, right, is most definitely desirable. Yet that's not always the way that God works, is it? That's not the way that God, that God works. Why? Well, because God's doing something through our suffering. He's doing something through hardship and through difficulty that comes to light to an an increasingly greater degree in the New Testament. We have have passages from the, the writings of Paul that inform the place of suffering in the life of the Christian, in the life of God's people. Why? Why difficulty? Why hardship? We know that it produces within us Christ likeness, which is the desire of the Christian, right? Is we're here this morning and you go, I'm a Christian, uh, I've got a number of desires, but what ought my desire be? Here it is, about to give it to you. Okay, conformity into the image of Christ to the glory of God. That's your desire. Now Paul makes it clear how this happens, how God does this in us. He does it through hardship, he does it through difficulty, he does it through suffering. We see a, a bit of that here, don't we? Right, even now. Isaac and, and Rebecca being, being brought to this, to this posture of a recognition of need. We cannot produce life. You must do that. What did that season look like? I can only imagine what that season looked like. It begins with questioning. Why are we having such a hard time here, right? If I think about the way that, that would perhaps play itself out in my own life, right? And of course we're speculating because we don't have a lot here, right? In terms of, of how Isaac and Rebecca processed. But I know for, for our own lives in these seasons, it begins with questioning why. And then we come to a place of, okay, I get why now, Lord. <laughs> now resolution, right? Like I, I learned my lesson, right? I get it. Only it persists. And then we become mad a little bit, right, about it. Okay, I get it now. Like, I get it now more, all right? And it just is, the Lord is so faithful. The Lord is so faithful to to continue 
to just turn this over, right? And he, he, he allows them to sit in this season. So that they would, they would see, right? That they would, they would understand, right? More than they could have even begun to comprehend prior. The same way that more than we can even begin to comprehend prior. Right? That he, he will, right? He will display his, his faithfulness, right? He will, he will conform us into the image of that which is most glorifying to him. A lot of time has passed. But now we see, we see these twin boys born. Now let's get into their issues, right? Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a, was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. This is a pricey bowl of stew. Sell me your birthright now, Esau said. Uh, Tell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and, and sold his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Moses provides a little bit of of commentary, a little bit of insight as to what Esau's decision says about his birthright. He says he, he despised it. This conversation around human limitation and the divine work of God is not settled through the conception and birth of Jacob and Esau, but instead it is amplified. We see his his willingness and ability to work in and through sinful and dysfunctional individuals and their family. We're talking about God's work here, which is a really good thing. Right? It's, a, it's a really good thing since that makes up not a majority, but the entirety of our gathering here this morning. As believers, we confess our need for God's grace to the family. Right? We are naturally alienated from God, the consequence of sin. We are in and of ourselves, each one of us, rebellious, alienated, and separated. As a result, even after we become Christians, we don't always do harmonious relationships super well. Not with God and and not with other people. We can, at times, if we're honest with ourselves, be selfish. We can be self-centered. We have different personalities and and preferences creating within the family a perfect combination for a major sin mess. The characters in this story feel it. In what ways? Let's consider just a few things from these 
um, these, these verses that we've, that we've unpacked. We see a mother and a father who play favorites with their children. We see an older brother who, to say the least, lacks discernment. <laughs> Very short-sighted, willing to sacrifice his, his birthright, which in this particular family is quite a big deal. For a bowl of stew, Moses again uh, helps us to understand what this means later. Not only lacking discernment, but despising his birthright, electing to sell it to his younger brother. We see a younger brother who, without question, acts deceptively through this exchange. And as we bring the rest of the extended family into the fold overcoming chapters, we will only find continued dysfunction. There are no heroes within this family in light of the behavior that we've observed. Right? Parents who have, who have issues. Children who have issues. But within this, this mess of a family unit, we must remember this. Okay, we must remember that there is a purpose. Right? That there is a that there is a purpose. The Bible helps us to understand what this is. From beginning to end, this is a story of God's gracious plan to rescue needy sinners. And we're taught through God's word that what he desires for us is fourfold. These are not original to me, but I would encourage you to write these down. These are super helpful. Number one, an awareness of our sin. This is God's desire for us. Right, that we would that we would understand and we would brought, be brought to this awareness of our sin. Number two, an understanding of our powerlessness to save ourselves, to produce life. We see it in a in a physical manifestation here. Isaac and Rebecca are incapable of bringing about life, producing offspring, and in similar manner, you and I are incapable of of bringing ourselves back to life. Right, the Bible takes this really clear picture for us that we are dead in our sins. Thank goodness for Paul's writing to the Ephesians chapter 2. Right, we are dead in our sins. We are infinitely needy. And yet God is infinitely gracious and capable of rescuing us through the sacrifice of Jesus. We have to realize, though, that we cannot save ourselves. That's number two. Number three, to believe and, and love his son and the gospel that he preached. Can I review these real quick? Would that be helpful? Number one, an awareness of our sin. God desires this for us, an awareness of our sin. Number two, an understanding of our powerlessness to save ourselves. Number three, to believe and to love his son and the gospel that he preached. And finally, in light of, of all of this, to graciously love one another. This is, God's, this is God's desire for us. He's bringing us into this, this deeper comprehension of what that looks like here as it manifests itself within this particular family. We're talking spiritual things, but there are a lot of physical things that help to paint this picture for us as we work our way through it. The family is a great place for all of this to take place, given that the family serves as the most natural opportunity to experience and speak the gospel to the world. 
What do you mean? Well, in and through familial relationship, our greatest need for grace is exposed. I'll never forget Walt and Anna at their at their wedding. We spent a better part of 35 minutes talking about the need to gospel and grace one another, to extend grace. How it's going to be required of us. That's drawn out and it's exposed through the family relationship. Why? Well, because we, we come in contact with these people most often, right? Nobody knows how to grind your gears like those that are closest to you. Amen? Right? And so we're, we're brought to this realization, right? That, that we are in and of ourselves needy. That we are imperfect, that extending grace is going to oftentimes be a requirement for these types of relationships. How comforting to see God's working through broken people and broken families. Here, as we step into Genesis chapter 25, and this incredibly dysfunctional family unit in light of what we see here, it only gets worse. <laughs> it, only gets, it only gets more chaotic. As we continue, as we continue through. So I think that there's this incredible piece of encouragement that we receive in light of just a walkthrough of this narrative. That's what we've tried to do over the past few minutes, okay? We've tried to just walk through the narrative together. If you're here this morning and, and you are familiar with struggle, heartache, hardship, sin in relationships... Man, we can take heart in light of what we see here. Why? Well, because God redeems the messiness. Really, God redeems. He is so committed to His work that despite the deception, right, and despite the despising, right, despite the, the playing of favorites, He remains committed. To what? Let's remember where he's taking us. Right? All of this is this gospel thread that weaves its way through the story from beginning to end. Right? You guys like this right here? It's kind of like a heartbeat a little bit. Right? It just weaves its way through every story. And there's this, there are questions at times. We come into this situation here and we go, man, like this place is a mess. This family is a mess. How? Like, how are we going to get here? How are we getting to the marriage supper of the Lamb? How are we getting here? And Christ's like redemption for the nations. How are we going to get there? The promise runs through this family. Are you kidding me? This is the best we got. God continues to work. Right? He's more persistent all right, than we could even begin to fathom as we gather together in this room this morning. Like he's, more, he's more persistent to his redemptive work. Okay, he, God is more persistent to his redemptive work. That's encouraging for, for you and I. Right? And, and the work of the gospel in us as we step back and we go, okay, the Lord has, has certainly, um, he certainly brought me some places. Lots of lines today. Hang with me. Right? He certainly brought me some places. I started here and now I'm here. But man, there's still such a long way to go. Take heart. Okay? Take heart. The Lord is, is persistent. 
He does. He continues to, to work. And in all of it, it brings us to this position of, of worship and adoration and humility as we see those four things that we, that we laid out just a few moments ago. How encouraging. How encouraging for God's people. This divide, we've got nations divided here. And yet the redemptive thread remains. It's going to continue. <clears throat> Through imperfect people, God brings about His perfect plan to redeem the nations to the glory of His great name. That's where we are in the book of Genesis. That's where we are as we, as we survey the landscape of Genesis chapter 25. There's a lot of things that we, that we can and then will talk about as this story progresses. But we need to get this. We need to check in and we need to understand this. And we need to understand this as we continue through this most incredible book. 